Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles. Why Not Both is all about how our multiple passions inform our identity. And this season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine and produced by Laura Studeris. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and come spend time with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, and that is both on Instagram and on Twitter. This week, we got to spend some time with the talented and charming Aluna, who just put out some new music. She also requests that while you're listening to our interview, you check out the Black Women's Blueprint organization, which is linked in the description of our podcast. I hope you enjoy our interview. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us, especially with the, you know, everything. With the everything, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All the stuff. Um, it's funny. I was, I was explaining earlier that I used to have more structure to the podcast, but now it's like, that was the before times. This is 2020. Right. Everything (laughs) had more structure. Someone referred to this time to me as a time soup. And I was like, Hmm, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm having a weirdly the opposite experience to what the actual circumstances, which I find fascinating. Like I'm so like, yes, I was, uh, I was four minutes late, but I was just simply on another Zoom. <laughs> so I'm pretty, <laughs> I was like, I, I'm the only, I'm the only one here. Um, That's so uh, but like, yeah, uh, my life is completely timed by the half hour pretty much every day. <laughs> so like my friends now are like, oh yeah, I'll catch up with Zoom. I'm like, yes. So I'll speak to you Thursday at 325. <laughs> they're like oh yeah sure try me then I'm like hmm you're like I need a, com- I need a commitment happening here so I was gonna ask what you've been doing but it sounds like you've been zooming I have been zooming I enjoy zoom yeah mm-hmm yeah it's um it has opened up a whole world world of conversation with groups, um, steady groups <laughs> that yeah. I I hadn't really thought about as a thing before. But now I, if I have like, if there's an area of change that I'm interested in, or a group of people that are interested in, I just like get in touch with them. I'm like, hey, people, I would like to hear from you about this. Um, on Sunday at uh, 10 a.m. And they're like, oh my God, yes. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> That's fascinating. What kind of topics have you been talking about? I've been talking about um, how to make changes in the dance industry, the dance community in different ways. Um, mainly my focus is for Black women. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but I had to kind of get more specific than that. So I was like, okay, black women making dance music or black women producing or, you know, because it's all of those different areas have different experiences and things like that. Um, And rather than just like, you know, being the spokeswoman for everyone, Mm -hmm. I'm like, "Um, I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to spend this time, this COVID time, listening to different groups of people um more recently I started a 
like girl ravers kind of meet up where I just want to hear from because it's very it's very important for me as a, a musician on stage mm-hmm. when I'm seeing one black girl standing in the crowd of white people I can assume what their experience is but I don't really know I'm on the I'm I'm having my whole different experience on stage so mm-hmm. so I was like I definitely want to hear what it's like to come and watch me in a sea of white people if you're a black girl and um but like the zoom thing is particularly important to me because I just wanted really wanted to create a really safe space where oh. people can just um you know because a lot of the times um I've been involved in these kind of discussions but it's like public facing and um black women are vulnerable in so many different ways um especially when they're outspoken and so I was like well how do I how do we speak without being targeted in any way whatsoever and it's like oh well just keep it private Um, I was gonna say like keep it without so that way it's not also either performative or potentially being attacked because it is a public space that's brilliant to make it a private space yeah because then I can build ideas that will serve that community from what they've asked or told me that they need and then I can kind of go public facing be like okay well we're gonna do this because we need this and we want this money and we want that thing to change but I can't do that um so first of all on behalf of people without knowing what they want and I can't ask them to expose themselves if they don't want to or if they haven't even first of all got into a place of comfort where they feel supported Mm. um you know you never know what people can do once they feel supported of their own volition and so that's the first thing I'm just trying to do is um support black women in different areas of my world as it were I think that overall that's a beautiful sentiment that you never know what people are capable of doing until they're supported until you give them that space exactly um I was like for one I was like that's ah I was like that's heart touching (laughs) well it's also something that I've experienced through calls like like well conversations like this right yeah um in the wake of George Floyd's death and having having started to speak out for the first time in my whole career, I then experienced interviewers giving me a whole period of time where they're like, I would like to listen to you about your experience as a black woman. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you're like, that's a, oh, hmm? this is something you're actively interested in without feeling uncomfortable and weird. Like, wow. Or you're willing to feel uncomfortable and weird. I'm like, this is amazing. This feels so amazing. And then I became aware that not everyone is having this experience. This is a, mm-hmm. this is special. Um, and I was like, well, how can I provide this for other people? Because it, it's been doing wonders for me. Yes. On a personal level. That's beautiful that then you turn that round to kind of like shine that spotlight for other people as well. You're like, if this feels this good for me, what if I provide this for others? Mm. Yeah. Oh, but it's funny. It was it was only after after a few interviews, and I was like, "Wait, this feels really different, and it feels um, enriching somehow." Just someone asking me questions and listening to the answers about something I care about. Well, and did you find that people had similar experiences to you, or was there? Or I guess I'm wondering, are there things that really surprised you when you were listening? Um. Well, I think 
yeah, it, it probably, I think the main thing that surprised me was the, the isolation runs deep. Um, mm. You know, a lot of these girls haven't met each other and they've been they, they, so say for example there's like 20 different black girl ravers going to 20 different raves mm-hmm. <laughs> you've never met before and yeah. so they, they're doing this yeah. and the numbers are growing but the individual experiences are still highly isolated so and mm. um, also it's like an unusual position to be asked to just simply tell a story like there's no agenda. It's like, well, what's it like for you? And 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 so seeing the emotional response of just being listened to was really surprising about like how I was like, this is so simple. Like I didn't even really say what we were gonna talk about, I didn't plan anything. It was just like, um, you know, a go. <laughs> <laughs> um and I was like oh well um this was easy that's yeah well and it's powerful because like you were saying that you felt seen when people all of a sudden wanted to interview you and hear you and listen to you and it sounds like then you experienced on the other side when you provided that space you could see the effect it has when people Mm. actually do feel seen um it's magical Mm. yeah so that's been that's been that's been my Zoom vibes. <laughs> <laughs> those are some excellent Zoom vibes, and I love that. Then you're going to take those and then use those. It sounds like to inform kind of what you're putting out artistically and how you're organizing that. Well, I knew that I wanted to make changes. Um, I'm working on sort of making various changes in the industry. Uh, on the back end in various different organizations and um i i i kind of am working slightly blindly in some areas um and there's there's nothing like um good intentions to try and help someone when you don't know what they need <laughs> That's a friend inquired yesterday. They presented a friend dilemma to me and they're like, what should I do? And I was like, ask your friend what they need. And they're like, but what should I do? And I'm like, so about asking your friend. what?" (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like you really, really have this, the initial ideas that you already know. And it's like, how? Right. You aren't them. Right. So like. I I might just assume like I know what every black woman needs because I'm a black woman like incorrecto (laughs) (laughs) you're like I'm the expert on me and I should ask other people what they need because they're the expert on themselves (laughs) yeah and I think I also got inspired because I've seen companies going like okay we want to try and um we want to try and help and the first thing they did was like ask the question like what do you need it? We really want to help you. What do you need help with? And I'm, you know, at first I was like, oh, don't you know? And they were like, no, we're white. And I was like, oh, <laughs> got it. <laughs> yep. And I was like, well, how far does this go? Like, um, yeah. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's also in terms of, um, 
the the the, the results it's just going to be a long a long ride like people are wondering like in in the aftermath like we, we were talking about it in terms of a window like it was just like really stressful time psychologically I would say like week five after George Floyd's death and everyone was just like, oh my God, we have a window. We have a window of the ear of the world to, yes. to, to talk and think about racism and then it's going to close. Exactly. And then no more. And that was so, that gave, like, created so much anxiety. And I was like, well, how about what we do is we prop open the door. Love that. Yeah. Uh, with ongoing conversations that can continue after. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was reading that. about the concept of uh, during that time of white urgency, which it sounds like that's what you're <laughs> referring to, where all of a sudden every not black person was like, I must do everything. Whoa, oh my God, what do I do? And it's like, maybe, maybe pace yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen and then reflect and then yeah. act. And then repeat that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I did see. Um, I did see a lot of that, and I did feel that in a way where it's like I wanted to. I waited before I put out any content, even on the podcast, because I was like, I want to wait for that content to be meaningful. I don't want it to be reactive instead of proactive. Mm -hmm. But then, what you do is you commit that goal and then you work backwards and then you know like well I don't need to speak now because I've already decided that I'm gonna speak at this point because I have a long game of this and I think that that was missing from a few different strategies but you know when I've I thought of this time as like the time for allies to just to, to sort themselves out a little bit and um what there are so many things to learn in the in the activism or taking action um, against racism world. And one of those things is realizing that you are not going to get immediate results right? and not to be put off by that, but to be like, Oh yeah, well that's fine because then I will just constantly have it on my pie. It would be one section of the pie of priorities at all times. Yes. Or from now until racism has finished. <laughs> <laughs> that can seem daunting, um, but it also does make, you know, things a bit more manageable. It's like, and that, that is what it is to be um, a black person who has decided to make effective change. It's like, you are never going to be able to put that activity down, but how do you manage your mental health and your, your motivation around what it is you want to try and do? For me personally, I was like, um, well, I'm not going to just pick the category of end racism because that is absolutely terrifying. But I will pick like, okay, I'm doing a dance record. Let's talk about the racism that I face in the dance community and go from there. Like I didn't, for example, try and target like racism in music. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> oh I like you, you narrowed your focus and in essence, it's kind of like knowing your focus and knowing your area of strength as opposed mm -hmm. to trying to do all the things. Like I was thinking mm -hmm. about it almost like it's very nerdy, but one of my friends compared it to like a Dungeons and Dragons party where it's like, 
you can't you can't defeat the monsters if you're all <laughs> you're all just gonna run at the monster and then you're all gonna die like <laughs> need, <laughs> need like your mage in the background casting spells and you need your healer who helps out the tanks when they run at the enemy and might almost die and so it's like you need like those different there's different areas of expertise and also you're not going to slay every monster nonstop. That would be exhausting. But if you're like, all right, I'm picking this one monster. That one's mine. I got that one. Right. <laughs> and, and that can be, that philosophy I found could be used all the way down to the smallest and most irrelevant seeming area. So like just say, for example, just like one of your friends where it's like, well, why don't you just end racism in your friendship? Start there. Like, and that will inform you on like how to do it out there in the world. And whether like whether or not you're an expert on racism, are you an expert on whether or not you love that person? Because mm -hmm. if you're an expert on that, then you need to love that person in the way that you want to love that person, which means to find out about how racism affects them. Yes. And those, I, I didn't meant, I didn't manage to find a way to talk about that to anyone because at the time it seemed so small, you know, we were like, we need to get rid of the police forever and also stop black people dying. And and it didn't, you know, it was, it was really high and vibrating on that level. And I have these videos in my phone where I was like, so I had a conversation with my friend. And it was really <laughs> beneficial because we talked about microaggressions. Like, what? No, you can't post that. <laughs> I never really got an opportunity to talk about it. Well, what you're saying makes sense, though, because those one-on-one -on -one interactions are the building blocks that lead to the systems that lead to systemic change. It's like, it's it's changing each little bit, because if you're like, I want to change the system, it's like, well, people are part of that system, and one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. interactions are part of the system, that, that's what makes it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like changing, like, one node at a time. Yeah, and I mean, I think that it's just gonna, it's gonna be a trial and error thing. Cause I'm sure if anyone has tried something really big, like I work at an, at an office and I'm just gonna make a statement about what we should do to change things. But my friend who's black feels uncomfortable around me. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's rewind a little bit. Like <laughs> get back to basics here. Yes. Yes. And I think you said something that really resonated about like to love someone in the way that you want to, because I think that in some ways, and I can't speak for all allies, much like you said, like, I can't speak for all black women. Um, I'm like speaking as a white Jewish woman, that's me. Um, I sometimes need guidance on how to because like you said, I don't know someone else's experience. And so it's my job then I feel at least to listen because otherwise I'm going to invariably mess up in loving mm. someone in the way that I want to um, because I have my own experience and it's not the other person's experience simply. Um, and so it's like in order to love the way that I would want to, I think that it does involve listening and it does involve a certain amount of like owning up to times I have been wrong. Mm. the scariest thing in the world 
<laughs> we love to double down on being wrong. And so it's like, <laughs> so admitting like, oh, I did mess up at that. It's hard, um, but quite necessary. So then you get to the phase where like you mess up less. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I say that it was a time for allies, but it was also a time for, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep it right down to my personal experience. Um, it was a time for me as a black person to say things to white people on a personal level and on a mm -hmm. business level and all the levels. And it was like, it started to, to be less about getting results as um, me being able to bring my full self to the table, which um, was completely surprising to me as a, as a sort of end thing that I was left with. Mm -hmm. It was like, well, I might even be able to hang around with this person who commits microaggressions, doesn't un understand racism and thinks they're absolutely right. But if, uh, if I am able to be like able to say that, to call out all these things and be like, I'm a black person that is affected by racism and your behavior affects me in these ways. I felt better. <laughs> they hadn't done anything. <laughs> I was like, huh. So yeah. me looking after your feelings made me feel worse. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. So there was a lot of learning on my part about like all this time where I'd been like, well, I'm scared that you're not going to like me anymore. If I say that that was racially inappropriate. Um, just made me like feel bad yeah because you're managing you're managing someone else's expectations you're managing their emotions and like in a way it's almost like okay well if it makes them feel bad like that's kind of the consequence of performing microaggressions like yeah mm. they, they would feel bad because they hurt you yeah and I, I don't feel like I should have done anything differently before I just feel like the opportunity that George Floyd kind of opened up for, for people manifested in really, really different ways. It's like, yes, as an ally, it, it created the opportunity where you can really put focus on it, learn lots and lots and lots. But as a black person, it was like, well, now you can look at where you have previously felt like you can't voice mm -hmm. these things and maybe dip your toe in. And it sounds like, how did you feel like once you did dip your toe in and did people's behavior change when you did talk to them? Oh my God, <laughs> I got all the reactions and it was, it would swing from utterly terrifying, devastating, oh dear, we shouldn't have said this to like amazing. Wow. We are so much of a better team now that we're on the same page. Um, and it was, uh, it was, you just kind of had to kind of go with go with it because there was no going back there wasn't any yeah. real going back for anybody at that point so um yeah I I went I went in I went in I was like no one is safe <laughs> <laughs> the only people who were safe were people that just weren't in touch with me got it well and it seems like it would really winnow 
um, kind of like winnow your circle to people that genuinely did hear you and support you and were able to show up for you. Because if you present that to someone and it's like an extinction level event that you're like, hello, you've done these things that have made me feel bad. Um, you participate in a system that is harmful to me and their reaction is negative. You're like, hmm. <laughs> Interesting. See, this is what I was talking about, just right here, <laughs> where you blamed me for the racist situation. Yeah, um, I'm like, I feel like that would be illuminating of who's on team and who maybe is um, not. And it was interesting because um, whole, like being able to hold a place of love for someone whilst they literally behaved in the worst way you could imagine um was really weird it was like you didn't think that you were gonna have to do that but then you find yourself doing it because because the situation hasn't gone well um and it, it, it it's it's kind of it's like new skills it's like the kind of skill you use when when you see a kind of rabid dog or something you're like oh but don't bite me yeah but there's no in a way there's no antidote to rabies unless there might be I might be speaking totally out of my ass I have no idea (laughs) like can we solve rabies I don't know oh Oh. (laughs) (laughs) if we if we chip away at it you know Because I was saying to someone, it's it's similar in my mind in some ways to, in a way, pointing out to someone that they've behaved in a um, in a sexist manner, where if someone mm. doesn't view you as an equal person, like an equal personhood, there's nothing really that you can argue to them. <laughs> because they might see you essentially as like a fancy lamp, and then you'd be like a really articulate fancy lamp but it's like you're still not a person you're still a fancy lamp and so it's like (laughs) after a while you're like all right like there are just some people I'm not going to convince you I'm not in fact a lamp um and so we're just gonna we're just gonna cut our losses there (laughs) yeah (laughs) um I think some of the harder conversations for me because you can ignore those people pretty much because you're just not gonna really I mean it's pretty hard like for me, I think it would be quite hard for me to find a racist person and like sit down and have a conversation. I'm like, where are they? Like, do they live in like weird halls or like, are they, do they have like such a good front forward facing personality that I just don't know that they're racist? And it's probably they're, they're unusual probably on the internet somewhere. Yeah. But it's the people that think that they are not racist, but have no real way to verify that because 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 the conversation kind of stops at this thing where it's like I'm not racist like ah but the things that you do are racist so can be racist they're like no (laughs) (laughs) well you're like yes well I think that you're speaking being an expert on the person experiencing (laughs) that so they're like but that is not my intention like like, mm -hmm. somebody made an analogy of like if you accidentally step on someone's foot behind you um it it doesn't 
take a lot to just be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to step on your foot. Right. Um, obviously you didn't intend to step on someone's foot, but you acknowledged that you did yes. and they were in sandals and you were wearing heels. And that's a bad scenario. That hurt. <laughs> I mean, later on you can be like, well, you really shouldn't be wearing sandals in public um, because there were girls <laughs> with heels around, but you still have already said sorry by that point. And also acknowledging that like there's a different spectrum of behavior that falls under racism and that people are oftentimes accidentally complicit to systems of racism without knowing it. But I think people, when they hear like you're racist, they think of exactly what you were saying earlier of like, where are these people hiding? Are they in a box somewhere? Um, That like no one conceptualizes themselves that way, or at least none that I've personally talked to. I'm sure that there's Mm. someone out there that's like, I'm racist. It's great. Um, But like, most people it's painful to think of themselves that way and so if you say like what you did is racist then they think I'm racist therefore I'm bad you're telling me I'm bad now I have to mm-hmm. fall apart into pieces mm-hmm. um, and it's like understanding that there's even with like the best intent sometimes you are complicit to systems that are racist and if someone points that out it's not a character judgment per se it's just like hey you did this thing it sucked for me could you not? yeah I mean it is it's asking someone to who is a goldfish to look at the water around them it's it's really hard and even as a black person to really sit down and study racism like the systemic racism as opposed to the um I mean see I can't even remember the terminologies there's two different types of racism right you've got the systemic racism that kind of just um is what we all live inside of. Yes. And then you have your own personal racism where you can commit microaggressions or you can racially bias and profile somebody and 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 things like that. And and it's when you're asking someone to when you're learning about even just the difference between the two things, it's like, wow, a whole hour went by <laughs> and I'm still not getting paid. Like, okay, all right. You know, I sat down one evening and I was like, listen, I have a hunch and it's just a hunch because I have not bothered to find this out. But um, I have a hunch that Britain is just as racist as America and in fact did own slaves. I'm like, why don't I know the answer to this question? Let me just quickly Google this. And I was like, oh, you owned loads of slaves. In fact, you invented slavery. Mm." Yeah. I was kind of like they were they were the originator of that and then yeah. decided that that was a great thing to bring mm. here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was like I didn't really need to google this but I sort of did <laughs> so that I could get some like numbers. Yep. Oh god. That that sounds like it went to a really probably distressing place. It was really distressing. I 100% cried for the evening. Um, just because I was like so right, it was horrible. I was like, ew, ew, ew. But it, it's also, you know, one of the reasons why I left England because that kind of thing is what everyone is experiencing, especially as a black person. Like as a young black person, if you're like, if you sit down and wonder about why your life is the way that it is in terms of race the Mm -hmm. first thing the first hurdle you have to get over in England is like am I am I imagining it 
Mm. Is there some sort of form of the racism happening here? And every answer, if you kind of just ask a general person, will be like, no, mate, you're a, it's a very multicultural place here. We, we love everybody. But um, so it's really hard to like get to the point of admission. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yes, yes, we're racist. We have racism here. Um, you know, in schools, we're not taught to talk about, we're not taught about slavery uh, in any way, shape or form as far as my experience went. That's so interesting you say that. I was talking to another friend of mine from the UK about um, what they had learned in their history courses. And apparently they're, they were describing that their history courses ended at the early 20th century and also did not cover anything about slavery. So I'm like, so you didn't learn about slavery, nor did you learn about anything in the last hundred years? It's <laughs> 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 like, what? No, seriously. Seriously, if I think if someone had mentioned Britain's involvement with slavery at any point during like lessons, I'd have been so into it. I'd have been like, I'm picking history as my my major. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead I flunked out on geography. You know, I'd much rather have done flunking out on history, which only one expert area. Hmm? Geography's hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> someone someone asked me a very simple question, which was like, name a country that you would want to be. And I answered Bora Bora because that's just where <laughs> I want to go. I was like, I know, sorry, you asked me a geography question, but I just can I go on holiday? I seriously can't concentrate on this question. When am I going to Bora Bora? Seriously. I mean, it is a question on all of our minds of like, can we leave yet? Can we leave now? Could we jettison ourselves to another planet? Mm. <laughs> How are things going on Mars? <laughs> I mean, have we cleared a space yet? It's already warm and smoky and orange in LA. So I'm like, it wouldn't be that different of a vibe. Yeah. oh my goodness what you are saying is so interesting because you are speaking to other people's experience in the dance community and I'm thinking like growing up in the UK do you feel like you had a similar kind of like isolated experience where you were almost like gaslit into thinking that you weren't having the experience you were having I remember asking um a black artist um if what he thought about you know being the only black guy making indie music that Mm -hmm. he's like other than block party and I'm not sure if block party were uh, a thing yet um this is like the early 2000s kind of indie high energy indie music coming out of the UK Uh and he was like you can't think about that. Like he was so angry with me and he was like, it's ridiculous to even bring that up. I'm like, oh, excellent. No, you're right. And I, and, and now when I think about that, I'm like, of course that's what it was like being a black person in England, being asked about racism. It was like, we can't talk about that. Don't, right. don't bring that up. The white people will be very upset with you if you bring that up. Um, 
And I was like, how <laughs> fascinating. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. We shouldn't ever talk about that. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, like, be, like deciding to do music in, in the UK, it was like, okay, so you're black, which means that the legitimate modes of music making for you are to try and rap as a grime artist, in which case no one will listen to you anyway. And also you're from the suburbs that are very like white and middle class. So all the black people are going to think that your accent's shit. Um, <laughs> or you can do R&B music which is not popular in the UK because it's generally black music and uh, American in, in, in style. Mm-hmm. So, so you can sort of put your, your British accent on the R&B and no one likes it anyway. And you won't be as good as an American, um, so they won't like you in America either. Um, or, yeah. Yeah, it was just like, that sounds like, bad option number one and bad option number two yeah so I was like hmm I sort of rubbed my hands together and I was like let me do avant-garde <laughs> <laughs> like option C I'm making up option C right now <laughs> I made up option C which consisted of like someone with a like a mad scientist with a synthesizer where we we made we made like music out of noises and then I would like ad lib and then we would like chop all the ad libs together and then I'd throw lyrics on the ad libs mm-hmm. and we'd be like, we were like yeah we don't do song structure <laughs> you're avant-garde and uh, that was how I managed to like not get boxed into um default unpopular I was in choice unpopular <laughs> <laughs> I love that and the yeah. way you're describing that I'm like w- exactly what you're saying I experienced to a much 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 lesser degree but I was in a very small village um in in Stoke-on-Trent but I won't name Ooh, it lovely right love that mm-hmm, um, love that in a very small village there walking down the main street and everyone kept furtively glancing at me and I realized that it's because though I'm a white person I'm like an off-brand white person Mm. because I'm Jewish and look very Eastern European I guess Mm. and like it was really interesting because then I described it to the person with whom I was with that was my boyfriend at the time I was just like why is everybody looking at me and he's he's from there and he was just like what do you mean and I was like no, like people are looking at <laughs> usual. And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was just like, this is was he from weird. The- yes. Mm. And so it was a very odd experience where in LA people look at you to be like, are you famous? No. Okay. We good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. No, I lived in a, in a, in a place like how you described. And um, I was very, very well known. Um, I was the black girl. Yeah, the one. Yeah, he spoke of <laughs> at his school that he spoke of the one girl of color, and I was just like, mm. the one. There was the yeah, one. The and one. like maybe it was me. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately not. I went to a girls' school, so 
<clears throat> and I was just fun. like, unless you were stuck in a Catholic school in Stoke. Um, <laughs> mm. Right next door, yeah. Oh my goodness. No, when you were talking about like being isolated in that way, it did sound a lot like the women that you spoke to, that they were the black girl at the rave. But then they found out, oh my God, you're the other black girl at the other rave. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, I just made tiny plotting hands. I'm like, you can form an alliance. I love this. <laughs> and, and, and the thing was, like, we were kind of discussing only a short window of time, like, sort of between, like, starting at, at early was, like, 2010. Mm-hmm. That's, like, early Black Girl Raver history. <laughs> and potentially previous to that, there were none, is what I was gathering um, but certainly, if you were a black girl over in 2010, you were you. It was just you. Mm-hmm. And now, in the the ripe old age of uh, 2020, it will be like <laughs> you might you might get you might get a few more. You know, a nice group. Um, but then it becomes like a conversation of like, how are we serving that group? Mm. Um, so it's not all it's not all bad. Um, but there's always work to be done. Um, yes, but going back to England um, and dance music, um, for sure, like dance music was not in the 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 bad option one and bad option two. It was just like I've gone rogue. Yeah, like I think if I decided to do dance music at that point, it would have been as absurd as me deciding to do choose something geography uh, indie indie rock <laughs> i love the way you said that as though the words were foreign to your mouth you're just like hmm well see i say that because actually in fact i was in an indie rock band silence i know i just um, you're I trying to picture it again okay. <laughs> So advice, the advice from that guy that I got, which was don't talk about racism, I was like, okay, so I'll just do it. And everyone will think I'm completely nuts and tell me that I'm not quite convincing. <laughs> but I won't talk about why. Mm-hmm. I'll just try and do it and then give up because, it, I mean, I, I literally joined, formed actually that band um, with the precise knowledge that it would go absolutely nowhere. There was no no way in hell there was ever going to be a black girl-fronted indie band of success. Of course, you know, you can rotate the pubs, but you probably end up as a cover band. I just made the face of grim acknowledgement. Mm, yes, yes. But yeah, um, dance music was decidedly white. And also, I would say this is also not Googled, um, but I would say there's a, probably a high percentage of Europeans and English people that do not know the black history of dance. And if you told them, they would deny it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> like that like, classic no. down on being wrong. <laughs> dance music was invented in 1988 in Germany. Ah, uh, music scholarship and how much you, uh, I was just like, I could go off on a whole tangent on like learning music history and then having to unlearn so much music history. Or all history, yeah. Yep. Um, but what else should we talk about? I guess like, 
I was thinking it, how do you want your corner of the music industry to progress? Like after talking to women about like what black women want from dance music and from your performances and from the industry, like, I was like, what'd you learn? <laughs> what mm. going to happen? Well, um, I did, I, I, uh, I did hear one or two people say that they might quite like the odd black person to be on a fest dance festival lineup. I was like, oh, really? Yes. You surprise me, my, my lady. <laughs> Tell me more. You mean to say you would enjoy <laughs> to see someone who looks like you on the stage? <gasps> Gasp. Yes. Yeah, so uh, stuff like that, you know, um, the obvious stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, for me personally, I, you know, would like to see other types of dance music that um, are currently actually dance music around the world, but are just not categorized as mainstream dance music Hmm. um, on streaming platforms. That's like one of my crusades that's happening behind the scenes. Can't talk about anything until, you know, it's literally happening. Um, But it's certainly um, another one of my Zooms (laughs) that happen weekly. How can we do this? Because... Currently, dancehall is categorized as reggae or miscellaneous. Yeah, I've always <laughs> very confused by occasionally the algorithm is just like, how did that, where did, oh, that's not what that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and it's funny because like these things, these, these, these organizations get built from where things are at mm-hmm. um and then they get built pretty solidly and so undoing those building blocks is a whole thing yes um but it has to be done because to me the consumer is not being served well and like you said you have to start it's like starting on that like micro level to get to the macro level it's like you had those conversations now you can take that and go to the next level which is the people who are then determining who's hearing what music and how they Mm -hmm. have access to it and I was like oh I like where you're going with the zooms yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah zoom crusades exactly I was like no that's brilliant because then the zoom chronicles I don't know what this would be for (laughs) My memoirs. <laughs> I love that. Like sci-fi always wrote about 2020, and I'm like, I think that they missed how absurd 2020 would be. <laughs> like, just <laughs> I have have gone to bed many an evening and thought, oh, I should write something that starts. It was 2020, and a man named George Floyd was slowly murdered in front of the entire world. And then also we got COVID. <laughs> and then I just stopped because I'm like, that's, um, I can't talk about this. It's just far too absurd to even put into words. It but, is. Um, yeah, someone, it's- someone will write something good about it, but maybe in a, a few months time, I think maybe in 2021. It- I feel like we all need perspective on the year to write about it. Because in the midst of it, I feel like every day I just wake up and I'm like, 
what fresh horror awaits me? Like, <laughs> happened today. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like that. And then we were like, oh, I can't breathe air. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Cool. So not only is it COVID, um, but we also can't just go out into the air. No, no. The so end. You can't go outside, but you also ha- can't go inside like with anybody else. So um, don't go outside or inside. Basically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Also, um, and it's, it's very hard to write about that. Yeah, it's very, it's very strange. And I, so I think that it's fascinating that you're focusing more on like the systems of music because being creative during this time, I don't know if you found this, but occasionally like I'll kind of spout out a song that's not about the apocalypse. And I'm like, is that, does that, can I think about other things? Does that really <laughs> <right now?" laughs> I'll be writing, I'm writing about like love and like maybe like insomnia. I don't know. Like, can I talk about those things right now? <laughs> I know, like, where it's mainly like world peace anthems at the moment in the studio. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, I feel like it's going to be interesting to see like the wave of art that comes out because we went through the like live streaming wave um, and then we went through the quiet despair wave and then we went through the protest wave. And now it's like, what? what comes next and like you said like building building activism into your everyday life but it's like there are still protests going on in LA but they're not being covered as heavily which I actually do find quite interesting now there have been counter protests um so then there's like the two protesting parties kind of like battling it out like on Santa Monica Boulevard like weird stuff like that where you're just like (laughs) you're like what is happening and so (laughs) (laughs) like there's some people getting up to do their daily tiktok and then others who are like which is the daily um march yeah yeah and i think about like i'm like okay well it's it's very strange and intellectually interesting and emotionally kind of numbing almost sometimes to like think of the myriad of realities that people are having even in los angeles right now i'm like okay all right that's a that's a lot Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not to mention the secret raves those are right. the things that gave me most fear and FOMO at the same time is there a word for that <laughs> <laughs> the fear of missing out and also the fear of like I'm so glad I missed that yes <laughs> <laughs> there were people doing like secret burning man events in LA and San Francisco and I was like oh guys no oh no Oh no, where's my invite? Also no. Exactly. I'm like, I want to be invited so I can turn it down because I fear death, but mm. also don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to do it. I think the funniest, a friend of mine messaged me saying that an orgy that they'd gone to eight years ago sent out to their email list um, a socially distanced picnic invite. Aww. And I was like, that's really wholesome. How the world has changed. Uh, <laughs> Oh my goodness. I was just like, that's, that's beautiful in the most 2020 way possible. <laughs> I, that's actually so good. I almost don't believe it, but I'm sure that really happened. Oh yeah. I was just like, that's cool. You, cool you couldn't it. really, really come up with that. Out no, no one could make up this year. Like I think like, that's why like I keep being like, well, what's happening next? Because I'm like, it's so implausible. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited also for what happens next because after the Dark Ages comes the Renaissance. So I'm like, okay, we have to stick around. 
But I mean, I also think that actually 2020 is living up to everyone's expectations because <laughs> people, people were like um, using like not real words when they were talking about 2020. They're like, 2020 is going to be like, bam, like I'm just going to come in blazing. Like, blah. And I mean, it, shit's literally on fire. So, you know. That's hilarious. That's actually, now that I think about it, that's true. Except for the people that said 2020 is going to be my year. Those people I'm like, was it though? Um, yeah, but no, think about that. It is, it's your year and also no one else's because it's just you <laughs> in your house all year. The entire year. It's your is literally <laughs> your year. It's never been more your year. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That is a great way to frame that. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's wonderful parting advice of like, oh, you wanted it to be your year. It is really Mm -hmm. your year. (laughs) Yeah. The universe took us very literally on that. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to see what comes of all the zooming and what comes next for you because I'm like, I already love what's come before. And it sounds like now you're like, okay, I'm on a mission. This is my corner of the world that I'm changing. And I'm like, I'm making tiny plotting hands again. Apparently I do that a lot while talking to you. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Like I'm excited for what comes next for you. I now have a visual. It's good. <laughs> I'm, I'm five feet tall. I have giant headphones on and very small hands that are making teeny tiny plotting gestures. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it was lovely to talk to you. It was so lovely to talk to you as well. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. Thank you.